This is the Comic Book Kaiju Podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I have a very special guest joining me today. But before I get to my special guest, I wanted to say, I wanted to give a day in the life of actor. Because (laughs) I've been doing this 14-day challenge, and this has been an interesting experience with my productivity uh, drink called Magic Mind, which uh, is doing a 14, hashtag 14 days of magic challenge. And they wanted to donate to the rainforest and make just a healthier uh, shoff and vector. So I wake up, I'm, I'm groggy, I head to the fridge, and then I grab a little Magic Mind, take a little shot, and that kind of starts the day. I start the day either with an alarm clock or a baby screaming. So either one of those. I get uh, my my son's milk ready, changes diaper. After he's taken care of, then I get taken care of. Um, <laughs> I like I said, I have a cup of coffee, a shot of Magic Mind, and that is as I've said before on this podcast, um, the all natural productivity drink because it's got natural nootropics that are designed by nature to make you focus. And that's all I need at work. I just I need to kind of center my mind and center my thought process. So Magic Mind and Coffee have done a great job. I think um, I did it for 14 days, and that was, like I said, the hashtag 14 days of magic. Um, I didn't feel tired, didn't feel down. And I think if you're in the mood for something to kind of pick you up and it's something that is natural, you should head over to magicmind.co slash 14 days of magic. Use the discount code kaiju14. All right. My co-host for this episode and my co-host on the Trechnological Star Trek podcast, Mr. Captain Shaw. Hey, how's it going, everybody? How's it going, Vactor? How you doing? I'm doing very well because I have my favorite Marvel fan with me right now, Captain Shaw, to talk all about Wakanda forever. I'm the so guy shocked. who wore the shirt. I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> it's a black shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, what are three words to describe yeah. your experience with Black Panther Wakanda forever? Need more time. No, I'm just kidding. I, I did do my homework. <laughs> I did my homework. Uh, the first word is powerful powerful mm, yes. not just powerful in the sense of um that the characters themselves are powerful super powered perhaps mm. uh, but also just a powerful message and a powerful film about grief and loss and what that does to a person and how you how you recover from that and and i think that that was really present throughout um another a uh, word I would use to describe it is colorful, not specifically just true colors, but the, the idea that we're getting a much bigger spectrum and a, and a bit of a world building type thing with this, uh, getting to see uh, Talukan mm. um, and seeing that underwater world and seeing these characters, like it's just visually stunning. So I loved everything about that. And then the other word I would use to describe it is misplaced. This movie feels wrong to be the bumper for phase four. Mm, yeah. 
I love this, and I'm gonna put it out, get it out of the way. I love this movie, but it does not belong as the ending movie of Phase Four. I'm not even. I would even argue it's not a Phase Four movie personally, but um, that's just kind of where I'm at. But yeah, so yeah. those are my three. Um, yeah, powerful, colorful, and misplaced. Yeah, for me, I would say epic on a, the scale of it. The 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 this immensity of, I think, Wakanda and Talokan and the the war between those two. Grief, as you mentioned, something that is throughout the, the whole movie, and, and we'll talk about that as the review continues. And the last one, I think, is just Memorial, just oh, okay. for Chadwick in general. I thought it was a great remembering remembrance of his spirit and his essence. Um, Absolutely. I think those three things are my Black Panther experience with Wakanda forever. So as you said, Shaf, I liked it. I liked it overall and had a great time watching it. I think you're correct as far as the bumper phase four placement. It's kind of just a weird, I feel like they, they didn't have that in the plan specifically, I think it just kind of came about and they're like, yeah. all right, we got to cut off somewhere. So Wakanda forever, but half of it feels like it was made on its own. And this is a piece for Chadwick to remember him. And then there are these little bits and pieces, which make up another half where it feels like it's a setup for other things in the yeah. upcoming yeah. Marvel universe. So it f- felt kind of half and half to me, but if Chadwick was alive, this would have been a very different story, a very different movie. And it probably would have fit in more with phase four. I would say, well, um, are, are, are we getting into spoilers? First of all, yeah, let's, let's start off. Um, we both said we enjoyed the film. So, um, if you haven't seen it, if you don't want to be spoiled, come back, enjoy it. And then, uh, we will share our thoughts. If you, do want to be spoiled. Let's continue. <laughs> okay. Well, first things first, you mentioned that it would have been a totally different movie. You're absolutely right. But a lot of elements would, would have still remained uh, Namor or Namor, however you want to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, I kind of think that it's weird that the characters, this is just a total side note, but like, I think it's weird that the characters, even after he tells them that he's Namor, that they mm-hmm. then call him Namor. Like, yeah. That if if the person you're talking to gives you the correct pronunciation, that's their name, not yeah. any other version of it. Like so, uh, and I'm completely fine. Like I'm not married to him having to have that hard a name more. It's totally fine. No more. It makes perfect sense the way that that it, his name comes about. Like I get it. I appreciate it. It's great. Um, but so Namor would have st- still been in it, um, and it still would have been all about that. But instead of grieving the loss of Chadwick Boseman uh, slash T'Challa Black Panther, it would have been him grieving the loss of five years because of being snapped away. Mm. So I think that's a unique element, especially when you think about the ending of the movie and what he missed out on. Yeah. It's not just time, it's people and relationships and watching since we're getting into spoilers, watching his son, grow up yeah um so 
uh, that would have still been a great movie, but I, I think that the movie works even more strongly because of his passing. And that's an unfortunate thing, but it really makes the movie that much more powerful because mm. you, tr- you truly feel that loss. But I, I, I kind of wonder, do you think that the movie came too late after his passing? What's crazy is they started working on this. Um, I think pretty like it only got delayed six months as far as like COVID and everything else. So I think they were on track for the most part of if he was alive, you know, a black Panther sequel, they made so much on the first one. They were, they probably greenlit the sequel right away uh, while the first one was probably still in the theater. But I think, yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, if it had been the normal amount of time, the, the regular distance between the a first movie and a second movie, I'd I say yes and no. I felt like it feels so far away from the first one. And I just rewatched the first one um, with the director's commentary on Disney plus, which is actually really good. Um, if you haven't had a chance, Ryan Coogler is just an interesting guy. I really like hearing him speak there's certain directors yeah. i just find them interesting so he he had a great commentary on the movie but it feels like another lifetime ago and i think that's because of covid so yeah. i wonder yeah what would it have felt that way either if we didn't have covid or if we had chadwick it does feel really far away um but it i guess it was just on the normal track of um a sequel for mm-hmm. this movie. So yeah, I kind of, I feel it, but I think most of that is due to COVID. I, I love their choice to just make it an illness, like not, yeah, not define right. it, not explain it. Uh, just that movie opens, they're struggling to keep them alive. And, and, and then you just feel that loss. And then of course they, um, they pick up a year later and seeing where these, these people currently are in their grief process. And I haven't, analyzed it more than just the first viewing because that's all i've seen but i would i would imagine that each character probably has some like lean uh or stance that's a various stage of the grief process Mm, yeah um just because like that uh they did that with um uh moon knight is another example like there were the characters had different stages of their grief process and things like that so um i fully believe there's probably some element to that like in the subtext um but i i mean it was i think it was done so beautifully so uh full of reverence it was very respectful anyone who says it wasn't is wrong i'm just gonna say (laughs) that they're wrong uh that there is no more respectful way that they could have approached it i think recasting t'challa would have been the wrong move in my personal opinion um and even as tragic as his passing was from a narrative perspective, it makes the struggle for these characters that much more compelling. Um, and, uh, and to lean into that, uh, as a, as a way to properly tribute an amazing person like Chadwick was, um, I think it's great. I love it. Yeah. I'm the same way. And I also like that they can kind of with introducing his son and naming him T'Challa, it's a way to have him live on 
and then also have the character be much like with Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Those characters are going to be with us until we die. Like they're not going away. So having T'Challa be a concept almost, I think it was just a, a great way to pay tribute to Chadwick. And then also at the same time say, oh, we can still have a T'Challa in this universe. It doesn't have yeah. to be necessarily T'Challa dies and we'll never see him again. And I'm wondering, really wondering what they're going to do with Iron Man as far as recasting or what, you know, is he coming from another universe? Because we got to have an Iron Man. We can't have a Marvel Cinematic Universe with no Iron Man. Same thing with Captain America. Well, I mean, isn't the assumption that Riri Williams is going to be like the replacement Iron Man he, being Ironheart? I think we'll find out more in her show specifically. Yeah. And um, you and I both did a episode all about Riri in the comics. Yeah. So if yeah. you guys want to check that out, definitely head over to our Attack the Stack episode. And we talk all about her comic origins. Yeah. But I thought they did a great job as far as a, a live action version of Riri and I'm excited for her show. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, I want to see what they do with that. Um, so, specifically because they left her armor behind, so she's going to have to get new armor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked that, but I also didn't like that. So um, real quick question before I get into my, my bit about Riri, cause I have yeah. a few things to say about, about that. Um, do you think that they'll get Robert Downey Jr.? to play the AI Tom, Tony Stark oh, for, for Riri Williams Dang. in the Ironheart series. Wouldn't that be badass? I was actually, when we were when I was watching the movie, I was hoping he was going to be a surprise at some point. Um, obviously he did not show up, but man, that would be great. I want that to happen. I don't know if they will do that, but I definitely want to see that. That would yeah. be fantastic. Cause I mean, he could even be deep faked, you know, like he doesn't have to be there physically. Right. Um, it could just be a voiceover thing, which would be probably more his speed if he's going to do it. And then with CGI as amazing as it is, he's already going to come through sort of hologrammy a little bit. Um, if you see him like in mm -hmm. the comics, you right. actually see the, the AI, but maybe it's right. just a disembodied voice kind of like right. Jarvis, right. in which case, um, in, in which case you don't need to have him physically visually there at all. But, right. um, but I think that would be really cool. But uh, away from that, just talking about Riri, I, I liked the actress. I really thought she was awesome. I liked her inclusion in the movie, but I have to say she's kind of unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I agree. She like, it, it reminds me a little bit of in WandaVision they, uh, Monica Rambeau is, is talking at one point about, oh, I'm, I, I should bring in my scientist friend. My scientist friend will be able to help us out. Uh, the, they'll know what to do or they'll know how to, you know, whatever. And all of us were like theorizing, like, who's it going to be? Who's the scientist? Is it going <laughs> to be Reed Richards? We were all gunning for Reed Richards. A bunch of us thought if it wasn't going to be Reed Richards, it's going to be the guy who's blue Marvel. We were all oh. convinced it was going to be one of those two. It was nobody, <laughs> it was physically nobody. Right. Um, it was just a random person who had no like deep cut reference or anything right. like that. Um, and so this time around, they keep talking about the scientist. The scientist built this. There was a scientist in Boston or whatever who built this. <laughs> and it could have been anybody. 
and they made it Riri because of the world building they have to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm not against that, but it to me it short changes her. Yeah. And knowing what we've read so far from the comics when we attacked the stack, uh to me, it feels like that was unnecessary to, sh- to shoehorn her into that, um, especially since it could have been anybody. And yeah. when you couple that with the fact that she got her own like Ironheart-esque suit, it wasn't truly an Ironheart suit, but it was definitely like the beginnings of it. Right. And she went from a Mark 1 to what was like a Mark 20, basically. <laughs> like yeah. She like jumped 20 levels because she's in Wakanda and she has access to all this great, great tech and vibranium. And then they're like, you can't take this suit with you. So it's like, why introduce the suit then? Just just make her be in the Mark One suit yeah. for and, the, the rest of the film and then give her the opportunity to build the Ironheart suit rather than making a really great, really cool looking Ironheart suit and then saying, you can't have this. And then she's going to end up going back to MIT in her, her uh, solo series on Disney plus when it airs and she'll make her own Ironheart suit. Right. But then we'll just be comparing her new suit to the one we saw in Wakanda forever, which is a pretty <laughs> dope suit. And uh, to me, it's going to be hard to top that unless you just go straight comic book accurate and try to build something that looks just like Ironheart. So yeah, I kind of feel like they have put themselves into back themselves into a corner visually over how are we going to one up the mm. suit in Wakanda forever. So I think that's a challenge, but I, yeah. I, I liked her and I, I'm glad she was there, but at the same time, looking at it from a purely narrative perspective, it could have been anybody. It didn't have to be Riri. And I think that making it Riri is purely serving the greater MCU and not the story. Yeah. And I think that was my overall dislike of the movie. The things I did not like the most were the things that felt shoehorned in or felt like, oh, we have to add this. It doesn't didn't feel like a natural part yeah. of the storyline. Riri was one. I felt like she was good addition, but like you said, could have been anybody. That actually could have cut out some time from the movie. I did feel the movie was a little long, um, but also the Thunderbolts thing of uh, the um, Val Contessa. Yeah. Um, her being included in as, and even Everett Ross himself, I just felt like, yeah, that they were previously married that I was like, just drop that bomb on us. Why don't you? (laughs) I didn't expect that for one second. And that just, it just felt like more. All right. We got to give them more backstory before the Thunderbolts movie. You know, she's been setting up this team and I think they're trying to make her like the Amanda Waller, um, suicide squad, Thunderbolts type of thing. But, her that whole storyline could have been dropped and you didn't that wouldn't have lost anything from the movie to me and it just also the anika and okoye storylines themselves felt a little rushed where that feels like a setup for there's a wakanda show coming out and we're going to explore a little bit more because okoye it felt like she had this arc where she was you know, she was part of the Dora Milaje. She was a head leader general. She loses that status. And then all of a sudden comes back. And then we have her with the um, the armor on. But I just didn't feel like her that whole storyline was fleshed out. And then her comeback just felt a little rushed. But Anika as well. Like they su- felt like they were setting her up. They got a good actress for her. And then it's just gone. Yeah. So I think we could have dropped all of those things. 
the Everett Ross and uh, Contessa storyline, the Wakanda storyline, or the um, Anika Koye storyline, and then having Riri, maybe not, yeah, just don't even have her in the movie and just focus on the Wakanda and Talokan mm-hmm. uh, uh, struggle. That would have been great for me. I, I, I don't think I would have needed anything else, but um, those are like the only disappointments I had with the movie. Everything else I really enjoyed from start to finish of Shuri's journey. Yeah. With having to deal with the, the loss of her brother and then taking on the mantle of Black Panther. And I don't think we're going to see her. Oh, and losing her mother. Another thing. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see her as the queen yet in whatever the next thing is, whether it's Black Panther 3 or even in the Wakanda show. But I I think we might see M'Baku take over um, or someone else. But I don't think I think Shuri will just stay Black Panther. And just that evolution of her character from just being vengeful, having rage, and then at the end kind of going through forgiveness and, okay, this is, um, show them who you are, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed that from start to finish, that whole evolution of Shuri. And then we haven't even talked about um, the... Taloka Namor storyline like that whole by uh, itself is yeah. fantastic what they did so yeah. those two things together for me it made a very satisfying uh film uh, oh yeah what did you, I agree what did you think about um Namor oh well real quick uh real quick because we we're talking about Shuri um loved Shuri um you know there are a lot of people that were speculating who's going to be the next Black Panther who's it going to be is it going to be Nakia is it going to be Shuri we were convinced it was going to be a female I've always been on the Shuri train like that's the most obvious choice like they could have done a bunch of other things but really it comes down to Shuri and I think the only reason why people were not thinking it was going to be Shuri is because of who Letitia Wright uh what you know what she believes in her own personal Mm -hmm. affairs and and I'm sorry but that has no bearing on the MCU. Okay. Like, uh, regardless of her personal opinion, she's playing a, a, a character. She's playing a character. So like her character is the right choice to take the mantle. And unless she's doing some really egregious stuff and should be fired from MCU in general, then I think that you just need to lay off Letitia Wright. <laughs> it's my personal yeah. opinion. Well, I think, um, and then they could have just did a roadie type situation of just recast, right. but still yeah. Shuri is the Black Panther. She was Black Panther in the comics. Like that's not unheard of. Like they, they didn't come out of left field. So yeah, I was, I was the same way, Shaf. I was team Shuri as it was leading up to, and then they kind of gave it away in the marketing where they showed her using the gauntlets that Shuri yeah. used in the first Black yep. Panther. So I was like, oh yep. yeah, it's, that's Shuri. There was a part of me that thought that maybe the Black Panther technology was just going to be shared amongst Wakanda's like elite and that all of them would be able to assume the Black Panther. Sort of like the idea that um, Batman is a symbol, 
you yeah, know, that right. anybody could mm-hmm. be Batman, right? With the right resources, same mm-hmm. concept, like anybody could be Black Panther with the right resources. And I was like, maybe that's what Wakanda forever really means is that the legacy of Black Panther is not to any one person, that it is a symbol that represents Wakanda. So um, I thought that maybe they go that route, but they didn't. I'm still okay with that. That's totally fine. But Namor, Namor. <laughs> New figure alert. Hey, new yeah. figure alert. Hey. Yeah. This is one I got to take out of the box because they they're doing this thing now with Marvel Legends where they don't have plastic packaging. Ooh. You don't get to see the the figure anymore, which is good and bad because if you can't see the figure, you don't know if you got a busted up figure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the, they don't they don't paint those faces right. So. Right. <laughs> so you got to hope, but um I got this just the other day. I'm super thrilled to have nice. this in the collection cuz uh, he was awesome. He, mm. I, I don't even particularly love uh, Namor in right. the comic books. I mean, he's kind of an ass. He's a dick. Uh, <laughs> he's a really pompous dick. And right. uh, and to see him in this was just so much better. I love this characterization. And it makes me excited to see more of him. And I'm so glad that he wasn't just like offed, you know? Right. Yeah. For me, it was um, kind of a personal thing because the way that they chose to switch it up because he's basically Aquaman. Now he came before Aquaman in the comics, but he's got an underwater city of Atlantis. You know, he can, he's, he can live in the air and underwater. He has kind of like a little bit of under underwater control of the sea life. But this version of Namor, I think, was fantastic the way that Ryan Coogler changed it up and made it Mesoamerican, made it uh, Latin, Latinx, made that change to it was everything to me because my, as you know, Shaf, my wife is Latina and my son is also. And so for me, I felt like I'm not um, Latina myself, but it was the same thing with Miles Morales when he came out and into the Spider-Verse. It it felt like there was representation on the screen for myself and for my family. And yeah. that's the same way I felt with Namor being um, kind of that, um, that, like I said, that Mesoamerican and speaking Mayan and things like that. All of those things were fantastic. Casting a Mexican actor, uh, Tenoch Huerta, I thought he did a fantastic job. And he just makes you fall in love with the character. Like you said, he's not like the comics where he's just an arrogant a-hole and he's kind of like in between. He's not good. He's not bad. But I also growing up, I never really liked Submariner. I was like, yeah, he's okay. But I never was out to, I was not wearing a Submariner shirt. I was not, you know, specifically (laughs) getting Submariner stuff. But with this one, this version of him, he's one of my favorite MCU characters of all time now. And I thought it was fantastic what they did with specifically his name, not only his backstory of the colonizers and very similar to black Panther and very similar to Shuri, as we saw when she's about to deliver the killing blow and they do kind of like the flashbacks and she realizes how close and similar they are. It's funny that moment Shaw is very similar to the save Martha moment in Batman v <laughs> Superman. But this felt 
way more organic. This felt way just more clever, I would say, because I felt like when I was watching that Save Martha moment, I felt like those guys, the writers, I don't even know who the writer is of Batman v Superman, but they just were in the writing room and one day and they're like, wait a minute, his mom's name is Martha. His mom's name is Martha. This is, we are going to be geniuses. <laughs> Martha, Martha is going to bring them together. Why and did she, you say that name? <laughs> why why the, did you say that name? My wife still quotes that all the time. Um, <laughs> Martha. <laughs> um, so I felt like what they did here is what they wanted to do with the save Martha moment. They wanted it to be what this was, but this was just way a hundred times better, more organic, just felt like this is how it should have been. So I really liked the way that they did that of, yeah, they are very similar to each other and, and having their, their cultures um, be very similar and just a mirror to each other. You're on the surface and I'm under, under the water. And then they tied in the vibranium together, which is not from the comics, but that was just as a story, it was just a well-written cohesive narrative from start to finish. So that's something that I appreciated. Like I said, I felt like there was a couple of things that felt a little shoehorned in. I felt like Marvel was like, okay, you got to include this, this, and this. But for the most part, just Ryan Coogler's story and his vision from, from start to finish, I thought were well executed, well achieved. Shuff, I got to talk about that final battle. Um, that oh. was one. I don't know how you felt, but to me, I felt like there was two different battles going on. There was the right. the whole Wakanda, Talokan, big battle on the ship. And then there was the one-on-one -on -one battle with Shuri and um, Namor. I felt like the the whole army scene was a marvel thing where they're like all right we gotta have this big epic battle at the end and it becomes just like cg you know just cg mess all over the place it's like all right i don't see any real people there but the one-on-one -on -one battle was way more emotional to me i yeah. felt like yeah it represented more and i felt like they could have even done away with the, the army scene and just done the one-on-one -on -one battle and switched it up and not been like every other marvel you know, big ending. Like they even did it with Black Panther, the first one, where it was like, okay, we have the the, the civil war going on, and then we've got the Killmonger Black uh, T'Challa uh, battle. So, what did you think about that final battle scene? Um, you know, I didn't mind it so much. I liked that it took place on the water. I think that was a really unique approach uh, because you know we've already seen multiple battles happen in Wakanda. So from from previous films, so whether it, it be an Avengers infinity war situation or um, obviously black Panther or whatever, like we've seen Wakanda plenty that it's a setting that just kind of feels comfortable. So to move it to someplace that's kind of not the, the territory where they're going to be the strongest, where Wakandans are not the strongest. Um, and it's actually kind of like Namor's Dame don't uh, I can't talk Namor's <laughs> uh, domain. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really unique approach. Um, the it was very confining though mm. i think and that kind of didn't help the situation right um i also wasn't a huge fan of the need to give okoye and i'm blanking on the other um woman's name uh, but give them the the costumes like right. the 
kind of super powered costumes, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. I know that there's it's re- it's relevant to the comic books. I think they're called the Midnight Angels or something yes, like that. Right. I think um, they might even be in that Wakanda show. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, and they and they look like they look really close to their comic book counterparts. So I get the reason for the inclusion. I just wasn't a huge fan of that. Mm. I also like they wanted to create this rivalry between Atuma and Okoye. And to me, it just kind of fell flat. Yeah. Uh, like they had multiple interactions with each other and you thought, oh man, they're going to finally duke it out. And it was really kind of anticlimactic towards yeah. the end of it. And that um, was I also where... felt like Atuma and Namora were both underutilized in big way. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that was, again, I felt like there was things that could have been cut and there's things that could have been expanded like the Okoye storyline and give her more of, maybe there's something in the deleted scenes or on the cutting room floor, but I felt like, like you, they could have given her a better yeah. ending to that. Cause I did so much time to set it up. And then again, Atuma and Namora were in all the, pr- the promotional stuff. They had posters of each one individually and they felt, just like background characters. They never felt like I thought Atuma was going to be all right. That's his number one. Atuma's a villain in the comics. So, okay. He's going to turn on him and he's going to be the right. real villain of this. But yeah, it was just, you. I don't even know if he, yeah, he spoke a couple things in Mayan, but I don't even remember if he spoke anything in English. Um, uh, just, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Good point. Yeah. Very um, few words. And then Namora at the end, she had that, you know, the little back and forth with Namor. But she had very few lines. So both of those. I wouldn't be surprised if her and Atuma are kind of set up as future antagonists for for Namor. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because that seems like what the breadcrumbs are leading towards mm. is like an, a civil war within Talukan. Um, and then he's sort of like in between, like he's he's not not OK. Like he's not part of the surface world. And he's also been like ostracized from mm-hmm. Talokan. Like that would be an interesting development for his character, probably where they're headed. Cause you're right. Atuma is definitely known as a villain, even of Namor in that. So in that sense, yeah. um, my uncle uh, collected all sorts of, of comics as a kid. And he gifted me his, um, all of his comic books as yeah. part of like a, a, before he passed, he he wanted me to have all of them. And there are a lot of Namor, the Submariner uh, comic books in that collection. They're all nice. from the sixties and seventies. Nice. Um, I wish I had them handy at the moment to put it, to show you, but um, there's, there's a bunch. Uh, nice. Yeah. Really, he was really, a really big cool. character in Marvel's early phase. Number one, he's, he was the first mutant in Marvel. Yeah. And yeah. he was, like part of the defenders. He's part of the Avengers. Like he's, he was a huge character and has kind of, I think fallen from his top tier status. Like he still appears in the comics every now and then, but I don't see him very often myself. I feel like after the Illuminati, he kind of wasn't as big a a thing anymore. Like, I mean, you can't get much bigger than the Illuminati in terms of the people (laughs) you know, working behind the scenes to, mm-hmm. you know, stop all these threats. But um, one person I thought there wasn't enough of, and I felt this way after the first Black Panther movie is M'Baku. Yeah. M'Baku. I love Winston Duke. Yes. He's excellent. And he's great at M'Baku. And I, I just, I want to share my M'Baku impression with you if you're okay <laughs> with it. Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> they do not call him general or king. They call him. <laughs> 
the Feather Serpent God. <laughs> Fantastic show. Thank you. Thank you. It's funny because I love this guy. Ooh, like ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> when I came home, um, I was saying now my wife called has a uh, pet name for me has been Cuckoo for a while. She's always, oh, you're Cuckoo. So when I was holding my son, when I came home, I was like, Cuckoo Khan, you Cuckoo Khan. <laughs> so yeah, that, I loved his, um, every moment that we got to spend with Umbaku um, was fantastic. And I'm, I'm a Winston Duke fan like you. I thought he did a great job. Yeah. Just, I wanted more Shaw. I want to see him more. Maybe in that Wakanda show, we'll see him some more. Yeah. Well, another great thing was they made like a nice tribute to a line that he said in the first Black Panther movie when he referred to Shuri as a child. Mm. And then in this movie, in honor of that line, which was pretty cutting to say to to Shuri in that first movie, this was back when they were kind of antagonists with each mm-hmm. other. Um, but like to to say that you've seen you've experienced too much loss to be considered mm. a child now. And mm. like for those that remember, like there's such a payoff in that, in that line. So I thought that was brilliant. Very beautiful. Yeah. I, I very much enjoyed that. Um, and I also enjoyed Angela Bass's performance. I got to say, Oh yeah. I would love to see her get some type of maybe a supporting best actress. Um, that would be fantastic. Cause she did, not only in, in this movie, but in the first Black Panther, I thought she did a great job. And she's kind of had like a lifetime, you know, of great performances. And we haven't necessarily recognized her. So would love to see Angela Bassett get some well-deserved recognition. <laughs> yeah, for her role. I'm all for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I am recording again. But yeah, I thought the performances throughout were great. I thought. The direction was great. Like I said, the writing, the story was great. Overall, I just had a really good time. Um, it also, for me, Shaf, was there was a something that I took away from it. And I think we had talked about this before. There was something that George Lucas had said in a, a recent interview where he talked about Jedis and not feeling attachment to things because everything in your life is going to come enjoy the time that you spend with, with everything and then let it go. Don't hold on to things. And I, I felt that in this one as well, because with T'Challa and with Chadwick, this is a person, a special person comes into everyone's life. The, the characters in the movie, us, you know, experiencing him as an actor. And then now he's gone. And in my life, there are my relationships I'm going to, there's going to be a time when my relationships end with people. And so I felt that I felt the, the grief that Shuri felt. And then by the end, when she accepted it with burning the robes and seeing his son crying on the beach, I thought that that mid credit scene to me was, was one of my favorite parts and, and her, I felt the loss, um, and so it just kind of that that's actually what got me the most out of everything in the movie. It was her finally letting go and her being able to move on. That's what got me. And it just, I felt I've been very lucky so far in my life as far as um, my, most of my loved ones are still with me, but it just made me think about in the future, there is going to be a time that I'm going to have to, 
experienced that. So it's, it just yeah. kind of made me, uh, kind of, kind of got me kind of choked me up. Yeah, I, definitely. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of people not sobbing, but I know, I know a lot of people with not dry eyes <laughs> in, uh, in the theater. Um, it was interesting to me, uh, the theater was actually not sold out. And for a preview night of a Marvel movie, I was shocked. But then again, this is a different world that we're living in now. Post COVID uh, people just don't go to the movies as much. So it's a different, it's a different story, but there was a group of three ladies who were leaving the movie. And I don't, I really don't want to come across sexist in this (laughs) observation, but I will just say it's not, something I'm used to or accustomed to is three women geeking out over a Marvel movie together. Mm. They were walking out and they were talking, Oh, I love that part when, when he was doing this and they were, you know, like I'm really exaggerating obviously, but like (laughs) they, but they were just like geeking out. They were nerding out together. And I thought that was like the cutest thing to like witness as I was walking in my car, I just heard a little bit of their conversation and I was like, it, and his costume was so cool. Like the stuff that they were like picking up on that, like resonated with them. I thought that was funny, nice. uh, but I mean the, the theatrical response was good. It was, it didn't have the impact that I remember from pre COVID Marvel movies where things would like you would erupt, you know, like you would erupt with uh, a response. It was pretty quiet, but then again, the movie was somber. It was a different, yeah style of a movie so um so i understood that and respected it but uh definitely a longer film and i think it should not be the one that ends phase four because it really had zero to do with the multiverse and i think the problem is calling this particular saga the multiverse saga like because not all the movies have anything to do with it right like shang chi didn't have anything to do with the multiverse saga um and that's why i think they should get rid of the phases like it it worked out with phase one specifically because that was leading yeah. to the Avengers, but everything after that, really the phases to me don't serve a purpose anymore. It's all marketing and there's no through line for each one of these films. Like there was specifically now, right? I don't know. It looks like maybe phase five will have that with Kang with the Kang dynasty and all that stuff. Um, Avengers secret wars, but I think they can kind of get rid of the phases. We don't, necessarily need that and, and this is a like you said with this being the bookend of phase four it doesn't really fit in with the yeah. phases and and definitely not with the multiverse at all um what would you say is the best movie of phase four i like man really i like all of the phase four movies but that's I th- playing it safe vector <laughs> i think this one is my favorite of the phase four. Yeah. I really love this one, but I, I think that it's going to be hard to top how I felt after seeing no way home. Oh yes. I feel like Spider-Man no way home wins, uh, but I kind of look at them as completely separate movies because no way home is a fun movie, a reunion of sorts. And this other movie is about grief and it's somber and in dark and you know, there's parts that make you sad. There's parts that make you glad, but like, I think that they can't really be compared to each other. So I think they both exist as like the best movies of phase four. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I would tie. Yeah, um, I have a Spider-Man love. He's my favorite <laughs> character, so it's hard for me to to not play favorites with No Way Home. But yeah, I think those were the best movies of the phases, and then Chung Chi. But I hundred percent agree with you on um, this movie, Shaw. I think it was a great time at the movies, great per, um, memorial service for Chadwick, and then also setting up the future of T'Challa and the concept of of that, I think is going to be fantastic. Whether they age him up or not, I'm not sure. Um, whether they let him be a child um, and grow into it, I'm not, I don't know. But I'm interested to see what they do with both Namor and with T'Challa going forward. So, excellent, Shaw. I'd like to thank you, Shaw, for joining me on this Black Panther Wakanda Forever review. And if you like Shaw, if you like anything that you've heard on this episode, you should <laughs> actually check out our Star Trek podcast, Treknological, where we not only talk about whatever is the current Star Trek thing is at the moment, we also talk about our experiences being dads of young children. We have a boldly dadding segment on that podcast, which I am very proud of, Shaf. I think it's one of the best things I've done in podcasting is, is our boldly dadding segment. And I think you do a fantastic job on there. Um, so direct everyone who is listening to this or watching this on YouTube, check out Treknological at all of those places on social media. Treknopod is our yeah. uh, is our handle, the way that you can find them. Um, any parting shots, Shaw? Any anything last words of wisdom? Um, well, I mean, we have the holiday special, the Ooh. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special to look oh, forward to yes, 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 as the epilogue of phase four. So, um, so James I'm, I'm excited for that. Yes. Very excited for that. We don't have to wait too much longer for that one. So that's exciting. Um, and then gosh, uh, coming next year, uh, Ant-Man, uh, Ant Quantumania. Holy cow. I'm so thrilled for that. Uh, Jonathan Majors is the goat uh i am beyond thrilled for this man and so excited for what he's going to do with kang and uh i'm here for it so yeah i'm just i'm just excited for what's to come because there's a lot of great stuff um uh coming down the line oh yeah man i cannot wait um don't forget my friends if you're interested in anything that we do over here if you enjoy anything don't forget to check out our previous episodes Shaf and i are doing the attack the stack bi-weekly we're reviewing stuff comics that kind of built up in our stacks so we're trying to get through those <laughs> so we're having a good time on that like i said we're on technological and um all of the things that were coming up we have the book of the month which is supergirl woman of tomorrow i know Shaf is very interested to check that out so that's gonna be our <laughs> november book of the month um definitely check that out we're going to have a good time, my friends. Shaw, if you didn't know, he loves comics, and you should too. <laughs> <laughs>